The Sons of the Crab by David Whittaker. The first Doctor story from the 1966 Doctor Who annual. There was danger outside. Everything in him told him that. What little he could see in his sight screens was so fantastic and so freakish, even by all the standards of his fantastic adventures, that his hand hesitated on the lever, which would open the great doors to whatever was outside. But Doctor Who had been through too many adventures to feel very much fear. The TARDIS had brought him further than he had ever been before. If his calculations and instruments were correct, he was now outside the home galaxy of the Milky Way, and in an entirely new universe, the universe known to him as the Crab Nebula. It was the first time his space-time ship had made such a vast journey, and now was not the time for hesitation. His hand moved to the lever, and his eyes were fixed on the main sight screen. It was like stepping out into a fire, and he fell back trembling in every limb, while the sweat broke out on his face. The TARDIS had materialised in what looked like a normal street in a normal city. But what a difference from any normal city Doctor Who had ever visited. The buildings were low and squat, and there were no windows. The structures looked more like blocks of a blackish-grey metal than buildings in which human beings might live. Of course, he reflected to himself, this was a world revolving around some alien star in the Crab Nebula. He need not expect to find human beings here. Turning, he looked back at his ship. He closed the doors behind him out of precaution, and the complicated electronic key without which the great doors could not be opened was safely in his pocket. He stared round him in amazement at the crowds of beings thronging the streets, and as he stared his skin crawled again as it had crawled when first he had looked into his sight screens on landing. A terrible faintness almost overcame him, and he leaned against the wall of the nearest building to steady himself. Instantly, through all his body, shot a current which froze him motionless in the attitude he had been standing in. Incapable of moving a muscle of his body, he stood like a statue, while round him surged the crowds in the streets. Horror swept over him again and again, as he stood helpless, watching the most horrible sight his eyes had ever beheld. It was like all the nightmares ever experienced. The creatures were of all shapes and sizes, all colours and species. Running through all of them was one faint common likeness. Most of them were like enough to human beings as regards heads and limbs. But there the resemblance ceased. Monsters he had always thought of as huge and horrible. Horrible enough these creatures were, but the horror was of quite another form to anything he'd ever experienced in his own galaxy, or indeed on any world. These monsters were not large. These monsters were roughly his own size. There were some, whom he glimpsed momentarily, who were very like his own form, but as his fascinated gaze froze to them, they changed in a hideous, flowing motion, which seemed to liquefy the form into an egg-shaped monstrosity, running along on a multitude of limbs and sprouting extra eyes as it scurried along. There were some which grew, apparently at will, into lanky forms twice their normal size. There was one creature which had several heads and limbs growing from its trunk, where no limbs should be. There was a file of beings with beaks instead of mouths and claws instead of hands. There were, but his mind began to reel as his eyeballs rolled around while his body held as still as though cast into concrete, and he tried to close his eyes 
and found to his anguish that even this was impossible. They were all around him, rushing and scrambling all over the flat surface between the squat buildings. They seemed to take no notice of him, though once or twice he did see eyes turned in his direction. Then one of them charged straight at him, and inwardly he almost screamed in a sheer maniac yell of terror. The thing, he could not even call it a creature, had three heads, one with the great beaked nose of a vulture, one the head of something which reminded him of a brontosaurus, and one that was startlingly human. The body he did not even see, for the expression in the eyes of a third head mercifully only two in number, held such agony and such fierce horror that it was almost enough to freeze the blood in his veins. The thing was upon him, and he could do nothing as his spirit cringed within him. At two feet from him it slurped into an abrupt change of shape, and towered above him as a great flower resembling an earth orchid. Even as his brain registered the image, it changed again, this time into a spraying jet of liquid. It ran through a bewildering series of changes during its onrush towards him, and then it hit him. A gigantic coruscation of sparks fountained over him, shot with flames and spouts of brilliant light. And then there was nothing. It had all happened in the space of a few earth seconds. While the other creatures milling round him in that flat space between the squat buildings had taken not the slightest notice. His mind was reeling towards merciful oblivion, when once again he felt movement. It was not in his own body, that was as rigid as before. But the wall against which he had fallen, before the rigidity had seized him, was moving towards him. A square of the grey surface opened, and a dim light shone out, almost like a creature frozen into a square block of ice. He moved into the building, and the wall sealed up again behind him. He rolled his eyeballs round, and relief like a warm flood of comforting solace washed round him. He could see human beings, normal human beings who stayed in one shape, who moved and walked like normal human beings, who even laughed like human beings. Soon now he would be released from this bothersome rigidity, and able to talk to these inhabitants of this strange world and get an explanation for the enigmatic horrors thronging the street outside. He tried to move his limbs, but to his intense irritation they were as rigid and motionless as before. The men before him were tall and thin, were dressed in tunics of a silvery metallic fabric. They were quite bald, and if his face muscles had been able to move, they would have made him laugh. He saw one of them move over an instrument set on a white pedestal, an instrument somewhat like a small gun save that its barrel consisted of coils of wire rather than a metal tube. He saw the man stoop and sight along the wire coils, and suddenly a fright overcame him. This villain was going to shoot him. Then he laughed, and this time his face muscles moved. He moved his legs and his arms and his head. He was free again. He wiped his forehead with his handkerchief and fixed his monocle into his eye. He beamed round on the men surrounding him. It's an entirely new one, came a voice to his ears. You know, Murnagil, this could be a big breakthrough. You noted five whole minutes and complete negative reaction. I can't remember when such a thing was ever known before. Well, it never was. Don't be too sure, Valcro, said another. It was outside then. 
We will have to run it through routine tests in here, of course. Only then can we be sure. We can't send up a report until we are quite sure. I've known things like this before. Seems to be some sort of thing with a tax them at times so that they cling to one form longer than you would think possible. It always breaks down after a very short while. Always has up to now, anyway. Well, let's get it over, shall we? Can't waste too much time. You know what they say. They think we're only amusing ourselves if we don't come up with some report or other. The group laughingly broke up, and the doctor stared round in bewilderment. He took a step forward to grasp the arm of one of the men, and came up short against what seemed like an invisible wall. Of course, a force field. These men were scientists. All his surroundings told him that. They would be cautious of infection against anything coming from outside, especially from such an outside as he had come. He began to shout and wave his hands, but none of them seemed to take the slightest notice of him. They spread out through the large white room, and as his eyes followed them in bewilderment, his respect for them grew by leaps and bounds. The place looked like a paradise to him. There was apparatus all around the white walls, instruments and mechanisms quite unfamiliar to him. Although he guessed that their shape only seemed foreign to him, and that their uses would be quite easy for him to understand when he knew their purpose. His own TARDIS was a glittering small replica of such a place, and he sighed with renewed relief, as the feeling of once more being amongst friends who would understand him came over him. They might even welcome his coming, for surely nothing like the TARDIS had ever been known in any universe, even in this universe of the Crab Nebula. But their attitude still puzzled him. He remembered that one of them had called him It, as though he was an object, or at best a brute beast. A small chill came over him as he looked again at their smooth faces and bald heads. All the faces he now saw seemed to be completely devoid of any expression. True, they had laughed, but he remembered that their laughter had seemed cold and without much mirth, as though it came from a recording machine. He tried once more to walk towards them and speak, and found, now that he could move, the force field was down and he trotted across the room towards the two he had heard talking together. I say, I say, isn't anyone going to welcome me? I've come a very long way, millions of light years, in fact. It's a very strange world you have here, and my first experience of it has been very unnerving. All right, all right, said one of them. Murnagil, you make a start, will you? Run the routine tests over it and try and get a fix on its highest normal index. We do not want to feel happy too soon, but have you noticed it has not changed once, even in here? It talks, too, you heard. Not so unusual, that, but it needs examination. Most of them just howl and gibber. Can't remember when we last had a talker in here. Well, here goes. Two of you, put it on the stand. Fuming and shouting. Doctor Who found himself picked up by a pair of the men and carried struggling towards a low stand like a dais. As they dumped him on it, a railing of white rods shot up from the floor around him so that once again he was a prisoner, though this time he could move. He raged and shouted at them from behind the bars, which, as he shook them, held as firm as though a fly's feet were touching them. Is this any way to treat a visitor? I am a scientist like you people evidently are. I am human like you are. What are you doing to me? Let me go! 
He stopped as a deep violet beam shot out from one of the instruments. It bathed him in an eldritch blue glow, and from out of it he saw many of the men staring at him through what looked like large goggles. The violet glow bathed him for a few seconds and then vanished. He heard a sudden gasp as of indrawn breath from the men. Quick, quick, the immobiliser! I can't believe my own eyes, not a flicker out of it, not an organ changed. You saw the X-ray screens? Rigid, rigid, rigid! The wonder of it! Have we at last found it? Will this day go down in the annals of Wengrol as our day of deliverance? Quick, quick, all of you, we must go through the whole programme before we report to the chief end. We must be quite sure, sure beyond all doubt. You know him before we even whisper to him of this possibility. I say, howled the doctor from the circular prison, how dare you treat me like a specimen? Hmm? I'm a man, I tell you, a human being like yourselves. What is this nonsense you are ranting? And now at last it seemed that they listened to him. They gathered round him, and their big eyes stared at him out of their smooth faces, as though he were a guinea pig in a cage, or a specimen stuck on the viewplate of a microscope. Intense emotion at last began to appear on some of these expressionless faces, and the doctor at last began to feel as though his nightmare might be nearing its end, when one more of its former horror overcame him, and he cringed once again against the bars. Two of the faces peering down at him started to run together like warm plastic. The eyes slurped sideways, and the nose elongated itself into a trunk. The body changed shape into something like a small dragon in one of them, and like a large balloon of flesh in the other. There came a cry of fear from the rest and a call for volunteers. Two came forward, and very carefully, using instruments like gripping tongs, they grasped the two writhing shapes and moved them towards a cleared space by one of the walls. Incredible! Doctor Who watched the hideous things writhing and changing even as the tongs held them. The pair holding the tongs yelled out in anger, Quick, quick, we can't hold them! Then a square of a wall opened and the two writhing, swirling shapes were thrust out, thrust out into that great scurrying throng of monstrous multi-shapes from which the Doctor himself had so recently been dragged. He could not believe his own eyes and he felt drenched in perspiration. The faces of the men round him were grave. My own friend, one of them was. To think of, Murnagel, it is the new one. He brought it in when we enfolded it. It's human itself, but it has brought the changing death in with it. Stand clear, everybody. Who will volunteer for this one? Tests or no tests, it must go out again. We can't run any risks now. Those two are as normal as any of us. They took the tests only recently. It's for contamination. And we must get it outside. No, no, Valtro. You're letting yourself think irrationally about the creature. This creature is no Yend. He is not native to Yend. He is not like our race at all. He is something quite new. And we must take him at once to the chief Yend. Formal will know what to do about it. But the tests, we have not completed half of them. We can't take it up to Formal before. 
Doctor Who called out from his barred dais in a loud voice that interrupted Valcro's words. That is the first sensible thing any of you people have said. I demand to be taken to this formal of yours. You have no right to subject me to these indignities. Yes, it makes sense. The incredible has happened. The outside has at last bred amongst its infinity of horrors something rational. Dangerous, of course, obviously, yes. Formal must see this. The tests no longer matter here. Formal will want to dissect this one with his own hands. He will want to see with his own eyes into the glands of this creature, to see what the genes have been doing with themselves to produce for the first time in so many centuries a thing once more like a human being. At the words, a cold wave of terror swept over the doctor. They were talking about dissecting him, calmly and coldly as though he were an inanimate thing. His eyes bulged as they went round the room and saw that, in some indefinable way, the men were changing before his eyes. The changes were slight and scarcely noticeable, a slight shifting of the rigid form of one here, a lengthening or a shortening of the body, and the changes stopped as soon as they began. The heat of the room had already made him sweat, and now a cold veil of perspiration covered him, and he leaned heavily against the bars while the nightmare rioted all round him. Then he heard Minogil shout out, Enough of this! We are all intoxicated by this thing. We must all forget what happened. Do you all want to be put outside? There was a hush in the vast laboratory, and they all stood motionless, curious expressions on their faces. The white bars dropped, and Doctor Who half fell out of the space they'd occupied. Instantly he was held in a vice by an invisible force, and felt himself moving. He was almost fainting, and he never saw the way he went. He came to himself alone in a large room, alone except for one tall figure sitting in a plain chair in front of him. The doctor tried to move and found he was free. He put his monocle into his eye and stared angrily at this new man. This would be Formal, the chief yend, the leader of these fiendish torturers in the great laboratory. He started in on a furious tirade, but the words of the other cut across them. I know all that you are thinking, said Formal coldly. Those others, my staff, they are nothing but mechanics, technologists. They know nothing. They did well to bring you to me. I was waiting for you. Turn round, strange creature. Instinctively, the doctor turned, and there, standing against the wall, was the TARDIS. He almost sobbed in relief. You brought my ship inside here. How did you do this? I thought no one saw me arrive. Two such incredible objects close together could only have connection with one another. You call it a ship? To me it is nothing but a small box, just large enough to contain one man, and with that odd flashing light at its head. It is perhaps a robot, or some kind of mechanical servant. The doctor preened himself. At least this creature was talking to him and treating him like a rational thing. He had an audience at last. It is indeed a ship. It has carried me for many millions of light years across the empty spaces between the island universes. I have come from a galaxy we call the Milky Way. To us on Earth this planet is what we call the Nebula of a Crab. 
I made the journey in fractions of a second. Now I see it. You are indeed a new sort of creature, but you are still a mutant. Your disease is as great as that of those poor mindless hordes outside, except that your disease is of the mind. My staff were quite right. You will be dissected, and we will see what goes on inside you. It is possible, yes, it is quite possible, that you may be able to add some small item of knowledge to our weary search. You are talking nonsense, Chief Yend. Alone with this creature, no matter how powerful he was, the doctor did not feel the same terror he had felt in the laboratory with the others. I am a rational man like yourself. I am a visitor to your world. Only one thing puzzles me. You have maintained the rigidity of form you hold ever since you were first detected in our city. Tell me, how do you do this? What drugs do you use? Where have you been hiding in Wengron all these years? For I can see that you are not a young man. Why have the detectors of my city and all the other cities of Wengral, wherever you have been, not been able to observe you? I tell you I am an alien in your world. I use no drugs to maintain my form, as you absurdly put it. I have never been to Wengral before. The chief end was staring into his own eyes, and Doctor Who saw in Formal's eyes the dawn of some small belief. But there was obviously a great force of native disbelief to fight the growing belief. All at once, the doctor made up his mind. Reaching into his pocket, he drew out the electronic key and moved towards the TARDIS. The chief Yend made no move to stop him, nor did any of the very irritating force fields hinder him. I will try to convince you. I will convince you that my TARDIS is indeed a ship. A vehicle capable of instantaneous motion in both space and time. Look! and inserting the key, he allowed the electronic impulses to turn the tumblers in the lock. The great doors opened, and the glittering lights from within shone out into the room. If he had hoped to overawe the chief end, he was bitterly disappointed. Fomal made no motion to rise. So far, I agree you are right. Electronic gadgets. But I am a biologist, and such things do not interest me. Wengrol is a large enough world for such a gadget to have been made. To me it proves nothing of what you say. Exasperated, the doctor stood nonplussed, staring at the chief end. As he stared, a totally incredible thing happened to his vision. Sitting in the chair opposite him was no longer Fomal, the smooth-faced chief end of this world. Instead, his fevered vision thought that he was looking at a weird monstrosity with multiple eyes and arms, with claws instead of feet. For a microsecond, the thing was there. Then Doctor Who shook his head, and Formal was back. Was he going mad? But his flesh crawled as he saw that it was not the complete and original Formal, but that the flesh of the limbs swirled here and there like heavy oil, and then became the solid flesh he had seen before. It happens at times. I take great precautions, naturally, but it is highly depressing. No living man has ever seen it before. It is the stress of the emotion at hearing your words that unmanned me. Fortunately, my control is very great, 
and after all I cannot regard you as a living man, can I? You are really nothing but a laboratory specimen, a curiosity to be examined in every molecule, so that any knowledge we may gain from your carcass may be added to the formidable knowledge we already possess, but which, alas, has brought us seemingly not an inch closer to our objective. You, you changed sheep. The thing is incredible, it is. Ever since his first sight of life on this world, he had seen nothing but this constant and horrifying changing of shape. In his mind he searched for all that he knew of biology and hereditary, of genes and chromosomes, of glands. Of course, I regret the incident. Now to return to yourself. It has been reported to me that not once since we brought you in, and to my own senses since you were brought before me, has your shape changed, not even by the faintest flicker. Now to me that is a far greater marvel than this commonplace vehicle of yours. Electronics to me is mere mechanics. Any man with knowledge and tools can make any object possible within the physical universe. It is material, and everything material waits to be discovered. But biology is another matter. Centuries ago we of Wengrol devoted ourselves exclusively to the science of life. How well we succeeded! You have seen with your own eyes. Bitterness in the voice struck Doctor Who. The creature before him was not looking at him, but seemed to be staring into far distances. He went on speaking almost as though he were alone. Who has succeeded better than we? Who has made a world of monsters? Who has bred an infinite number of shapes and forms? All, all. All of them, horrors and nightmares. I'm afraid I cannot understand a word you're saying, sir. To me, this is all arrant nonsense. You will kindly explain all this to me, sir. I have been living with horror ever since I was so rudely dragged into that laboratory of yours, and I insist on some sort of explanation. It is true, then? It is true that rigidity of shape is your natural form. The norm of humanity is preserved in your genes. Such a thing has never been known for all the centuries since evil Mortien came, bringing with it new and more sinister radiations than our biologists in their most fiendish moments had ever produced. Tell me, creature, before I find out for myself with the electronic scalpel, where in Wengrol were you born? You are a unique marvel. For centuries no creature like yourself has been seen. I absolutely refuse to bandy words with you any more, sir. You will not believe my simple statement. So further discussion is useless between us. I have stayed too long in this nightmare world, and I will leave you now, sir. Leave you to your nightmares and your horrors, of which I have had more than enough. He walked at a dignified pace towards the open door of the TARDIS. He heard a slight laugh from behind him, and exasperated beyond measure, he felt himself once more confronted with one of their force fields. Not so fast, creature. You cannot leave us yet, nor ever, maybe. A new thought has come into my mind. We will speak of it later. 
But now I will tell you. I believe what you have said. It must be so. Your own constant rigidity of form is its own proof. There is no creature in Wengrol like you. So tell me, in your world are all creatures like you are? Of course. How else should they be? Men breed men, and donkeys breed donkeys. Your question is absurd. The laws of heredity are quite plain and clear. No creature in my world, or in any world I have ever visited, grows larger or taller than the norm of its species. No creature grows more limbs or eyes than his species demands. <coughs> you have no mutants, no mutations in form, then? Well, such things have been known. We have known mutations of form over long periods, but not the lightning-swift changes, the horrible, frantic forms that happen here. Are you trying to tell me that the things I have seen here are the results of mutations brought about by strange radiations? By the star Mortien. It swam into our system of planets centuries ago, and it brought with it many new powerful radiations which acted directly on the germ plasms of all the species on all the planets of our system, so that what you have seen. But I go too far. It was not only Mortian's baleful eye that made us what we are. We, the biologists, are also greatly guilty. We had commenced to experiment with species. We planned to make new kinds of beings, improvements on the standard new and unimaginable animals and new men new men with organs and powers we only dreamed of then mortier came and made nonsense of all our experiments chaos broke loose over wengrol the biologists built themselves these leaden cities and all over our globe they contain biologists and scientists and technicians who are searching for the norm of living once more, a norm once so wickedly and unthinkingly tossed away by our foolish ancestors. Nature runs riot on Wengrol, strange creature from beyond our stars. Cruel, ruthless nature, heated by Mortain's baleful light, continues with her endless experiments and we fight her now endlessly and fruitlessly until you came until i came what can i do for you i know little of biology in my worlds we took all that for granted our mutations if favourable took generations to come what can i do for you is there nowhere you can escape to there is nowhere in the universe we know of we have visited in radiation-proof spaceships all the planets of our system, and everyone is much the same as Wengrol is. There is nowhere the Yens can fly to and hide from the horrors we have made. These creatures outside there, do they know? Do they suffer by knowing what they are? We do not know. Some think they do. Some maintain they are mindless. We have seen into the eyes of some of our specimens and have seen things we would rather not remember. The whole life of our planet is concentrated in finding once again a normal germ plasm. 
We have it in our laboratory, but it proves quite useless. The radiations of Mortian can seep through even our strongest radiation-proof walls, and each and every test tube only produces a man or a woman who can degenerate in an instant. As you saw even in my case, without warning, we have developed drugs that will halt it, but only temporarily and not permanently. Then your position is truly hopeless. I cannot see why you hold me here. In common humanity you must let me escape from this cauldron of horrors. I have been here too long as it is. Already my body may have absorbed enough radiation from a star to make me like yourselves. No, you have no fear of that. You are not young any more. The germplasm must be mutated very young. You have nothing to fear. You will not be long with us. There is one thing you must do for us before you leave. It is something we cannot do ourselves. There are many amongst us who feel that all our efforts will be unavailing, but our first meddlings of nature, followed by the coming of Mortain, have struck too deep at the fundamental structure of life in our system, and cannot now ever hope to be reversed. We would not see the end of our species. Somewhere in the great universe there may be a new home for us. You will take us there, strange creature. Take you there? Take you? How many of you? My TARDIS cannot hold that many. But how can I take creatures like yourselves out into the sweet, clean universe where life is stable and normal? If you would force me to do that, indeed you must be the most degenerate and depraved monster ever spawned. <laughs> you do me less than justice, stranger. Well, we know what we are. The living cannot ever leave Wengrol. We have made our bed and we must lie on it. But our children can go. Our sons and our daughters can go, and leave forever behind the nightmare of a world into which they were generated. He leaned down and lifted up a casket. Opening it, he displayed to the wondering eyes of Doctor Who racks and racks of small glass test-tubes. Leaning down, his senses reeled. In each tube hung, suspended in liquid, a tiny human form a miniature of a normal human form. Test-tube birth. <laughs> One of our successful experiments. I gather that in your world this was not so. It was a dream. The dream of some of our scientists. A dream our biologists made true. And our first and greatest mistake. From this sprang all our other hideous experiments in tampering with the germplasm. There are a hundred human embryos in this casket, fifty male and fifty female. Take them, strange man of the, what was it, the Milky Way, and plant them in some alien world, some world not racked and tormented by stars like Mortian. Some world where once again the mighty race of the Yens may regain its former glory. 
And you others? We will remain. We will remain to mortify the flesh of our world. We will remain to our endless and hopeless task of trying to put back the clock. You will do this thing? Doctor Who stood fighting it out in his own mind. He was a prisoner here, and only by agreeing could he escape. There seemed to be no choice for him. But the thing itself might carry its own horrors. His flesh had crawled at the sight of those tiny mannequins suspended in the liquid of the test tubes. What horrors might he be spreading through the universe if he took them to a new world? But his indecision was broken by a new thing by a loud babble of voices and the trampling of many feet, many paws, many tentacles. The doors of the room swung open and a great horde of mutants burst in. Murnagil was at their head and already his face was sliding into a grotesque caricature of humanity. They have burst in through a specimen hole. They are pouring in at all the openings. We can do nothing to stop them. We ourselves can no longer maintain our rigidity. I am disintegrating as I speak. The mouth flowed downwards into the chest, and one eye remained, staring with agonised terror out at the world to which it was saying farewell. Stupidly, Doctor Who stood cringing from a multitude of horrors clamouring into the room. Afterwards, he could mercifully no longer recall many of them. The human mind has only so much capacity for fear. When this is reached, it retreats and knows no more. He felt the chief Yend pulling at his arm. You are free. Into your ship. It is too late now to do what I asked. Like an automation, Doctor Who walked into the TARDIS and stood looking out again. A horde of mutated monsters was milling around the room, mindlessly, gibberingly. Formal stood with a casket held in his arms. Give me your sons and your daughters, cried Doctor Who. I will take them away from here, and I will give them a chance to grow into a sweet form of humanity. Throw the casket to me. A light of happiness came into Formal's sombre eyes, and he threw the casket towards the doctor, who caught it as the great doors closed. His last sight was of Formal being overwhelmed by a mob of mutations and being trampled to the floor. In the greyness between the dimensions, Doctor Who set the casket on a table and opened it. Wonderingly, he took out one test tube, and held it up to the light. The sons and daughters of the crab. The embryo hung there in the liquid, obviously quite dead, grey and shriveled and lifeless. He looked at all the others. Not one in the hundred had survived the transition. Either that or the baleful radiations of the star Mortian had become, in some unknown way, necessary of a germplasm to survive. His mind went back to that room on Wengraw. Formal the chief Yend had been a great man, of a great species, which had made the supreme mistake of taking into its own hands the instruments which only the mighty and everlasting fingers of nature can manipulate. Nature looked after her own. No creature thwarted her purposes. Each sphere was within itself, forever. The sons and the crab would not survive. Their first mistake had been their last.
that was the Sons of the Crab, featuring the very first Doctor Who in the very first Doctor Who annual, published in 1966. The story was written by the very first Doctor Who script editor, David Whittaker. An interesting and rather adult science fiction story, I think. It would have been interesting to see if they'd done stories like that on the television. Impossible. <laughs>